Ashley Brock reading Nora Roberts' book, Night Moves, Chapter 3. For the third morning in a row, Maggie was awakened by the sound of men and machinery outside her windows. It occurred to her that she hardly had the chance to become used to the quiet when the chaos had started. The bulldozer had been replaced by chainsaws and industrial weed eaters and trucks. While she was far from getting used to the early rising, she was resigned. By 7.15, she had dragged herself out of the shower and was starting staring at her face in the bathroom mirror. Not so good, she decided, studying her own sleepy eyes, but then she'd been up until two working on the score. As pleased, she ran a hand over her face. She never considered pampering her skin in a luxury or a waste of time. It was simply something she did routinely, the same way she'd swim 20 laps every morning in California. She'd been collecting the basics lately, Margie decided, Maggie decided. Squinting at her reflection, had it been over two months since she'd been in a salon, ruefully she tugged at the bangs that swept over her forehead. It was showing, and it was time to do something about it. After wrapping her still damp hair in a towel, she pulled open the mirrored medicine cabinet door. The nearest Elizabeth Arden's was 70 miles away. There were times, Maggie told herself, as she smeared on a clay mask that you had to fend for yourself. She was just rinsing her hands when the sound of a quick, high-pitching barking reached her CJ. Reached her CJ's presence. Maggie thought wearily wanting his breakfasts. In her short terry cloth robe, which was raveled at him, her hair wrapped in a checkered towel and the clay mask pardoning on her face, she started downstairs to tend to the demanding gift her agent had flown out to her. She had just reached the bottom landing. When a knock on the door sent the homely bulldog puppy into a frenzy. Calm down, she ordered, scooping him up under one arm. All this excitement, and I haven't had my coffee yet. Give me a break. The puppy lowered his head and glowered when she pulled on the front door. Definitely city-oriented, she thought, trying to calm the pup. She wondered if CJ had planned it that way. The door rest resisted, sticking, swearing. Maggie set down the dog and yanked with both hands. Door swung open, carrying her a few steps back with the momentum. The pup dashed through the close closet, closest doorway, poking his head around the frame and snarling as if he meant business. Cliff stared at Maggie as she stood panting in the hall. She blew out of breath, wondering what could have happened next. I thought country life was supposed to be peaceful, Cliff grinned, tucking his thumbs in the front pockets of his shoes. Not necessarily. Not necessarily get you up. I've been up for quite some time, she said, laughing. Mm -hmm. His gaze came over her legs, nicely exposed by the pre robe. Before it lingered on the puppy crouched in the doorway, the legs were longer, he mused, than one would think, considering the overall size of him. Run of yours. Maggie looked at the bulldog, which was making fierce sounds in his throat while keeping a careful distance. A present from my agent was his name. Maggie sent the carrying puppy a willing look. Killer! Cliff <laughs> watched the puppy disappear behind the wall again. Very apt. He figured to train him as a guard dog. I'm going to teach him to attack music critics. She lifted the hand to push into her hair. An odd habit and discovered the towel. Just as abruptly she remembered the rest of her appearance. One hand flew to her face. I left the layer of hardening. Oh my god. I remember this close guy. Oh damn. Turner, she raced for the stairs. Just a minute. He was, he was treated to an intriguing glimpse of bare thighs as she dashed upstairs. 
Ten minutes later, she walked back down, perfectly composed. Her hair blew swept back at the side with mother-of-pearl combs. Her face was lightly touched with makeup. She pulled on the first thing she'd come to in her still-unpacked trunk. The tight black jeans proved an interesting contrast to the bulky white sweatshirt. Cliff sat on the bottom landing, sending the cowardly puppy into ecstasy by rubbing his putt belly. Maggie frowned down at the crown of Cliff's head. You weren't going to say a word, were you? He continued to rub the puppy, not bothering Luca. About what? <sighs> Maggie narrowed her eyes and folded her arms on her mess. Nothing. Was there something you wanted to discuss this morning? He wasn't precisely sure why that frosty, regal tone appealed to him. Perhaps it just likes knowing he had the ability to make him use it. Still want that pond? Yes, I still want the pond. She snapped and gritting her teeth. Fit herself from doing so again. I don't make a habit of changing my mind. Fine. We'll be clearing out the gully this afternoon. Rising, faced her while the puppy sat expertly at me. You didn't call Ball about the kitchen floor. If you should cave, I wouldn't have. How do you know? How do you? It's easy to find things out in Morganville. Well, it's not a good Hard to keep your business to yourself in a small town. Slipped and corrupted again. It amused him to hear her breath huff out in frustration. Fact is, you're about the top news item in town these days. Everybody's wondering what the lady from California is doing up in these mountains. The more you keep to yourself, the more they wonder. Is that so? Margie tilted her head and stepped closer. And you? She got it. Do you wonder? Cliff knew a challenge when he heard one and knew he'd answer in his own time. Impulsively, he cupped her chin in his hand and raised them over her jawline. She didn't flinch or draw back. But before he came very still, Mexican, he murmured, sweeping his gaze along the path. He's something very nice. You take good care of it, Maggie. I'll take good care of your land. With this, he left her precisely as she was, arms folded, head tilted back, eyes astonished. But then Maggie decided it wasn't going to be the quiet, solitary sort of day she moved to the country for. The men outside shouted above the machinery to make themselves heard. Trucks came and went down her newly graveled lane. She did comfort. She can comfort herself, and in a few weeks, that part of the disruption would be over. She took three calls from the coast from friends who wondered how and what she was doing. By the third call, she was a bit testy from explaining she was. Scaping, scraping linoleum, papering walls, painting, painting woodwork, and enjoying it. She left the phone off the hook and went back to her putty knife and kitchen floor. More than half the wood was exposed now. The progress excited her enough that she decided to stick with this one job until it was complete. The floor would be beautiful, and she added, thinking of Cliff's comment, she'd have done it herself. Maggie had barely scraped off two more inches when there was a knock behind her. She turned her head. Ready to flare if it was Cliff Delaney returning to Tonner, instead she saw a tall, slender woman of her own age with soft brown hair and pale blue eyes. Maggie studied Joyce Morgan Iggy. She wondered why she hadn't seen the resemblance to Laurel before. Mrs. Age, Maggie rose, brushing at the knees of her jeans. Please come in, I'm sorry. Her sneakers squeaked as she stepped into on a thin layer of old glue. The floor's a bit sticky. I don't mean to disturb your work. Joyce stood uncertain in the doorway, and I wouldn't call, but I was on my way home from my mother's. Joyce's pumps were trim and stylish. Maggie felt the glue pull at the bottom of her own sneakers. We can talk outside if you don't mind. Taking the initiative, Maggie walked out to the sunshine. Things are a little confused around here right now. Yes. 
They heard one of the workers call to a companion. Yes! They heard one of the workers call to a companion, punctuating his suggestion with good nature swearing. Joyce glanced over in their direction before she took back to Maggie. You're not wasting any time, I see. No, Maggie laughed and had the crumbling dirt wall beside them. I've never been very patient for some reason. I'm more anxious to have the outside the way I want it than the inside. You couldn't have picked a better company, Joyce murmured, glancing over at one of the trucks with the ladies on the side. Maggie followed her gaze, but kept her to a So I'm told. I want you to know I'm really glad you've joined so much to the place, Joyce began to fiddle with the strap on her shoulder bag. I can hardly remember living here. I was a child when we moved. But I hate waste. <laughs> the little smile, she looked around again and shook her head. I don't think I can live out here. I like being in town with neighbors close by and other children for my children to play with. Of course, Dan, my husband, likes being available all the time. It took Maggie a moment and she went, Oh, your husband's a sheriff, isn't he? That's right. Morganville is a quiet town. Nothing like Los Angeles, but it keeps him busy. She's mom. But Maggie wondered why she sensed straight. We're just not city people. <laughs> No, Maggie's mother. I guess I've discovered I'm not either. I don't see how you could give up. Joyce seemed to get show. I guess what I meant was this must be such a change for you after living in a place like Beverly Hills. A change, Maggie agreed. Was she sensing undercurrents here too, as she had with Louise's dreaminess? It was what I wanted. Yes, well, you know, I'm glad you brought the place in so quickly. Stan was a little upset when my putting it on the market when he was out of town, but I couldn't see it just sitting here. Who knows, if you hadn't come along so fast, he might have talked me out of selling it. And we can both be grateful. I saw the sign when I did. Mentally, Maggie was trying to figure out the logistics of the situation. Seemed the house had belonged exclusively to Joyce, without her husband or her mother having any claim. Completely, she wondered why Joyce hadn't rented or sold the property before. The real reason I came by Mrs. Fitzgerald is my mother. She told me she was here a few days ago. Yes, she's a lovely woman. Yes. Bruce looked back toward the men working. He took a deep breath. Maggie no longer had to wonder. She was sensing undercurrents. She sure was. It's more than possible she'll drop in on you again. I'd like to ask you a favor, that is. If she begins to bother you, if you tell me instead of her, why should she bother me? Joyce let out a sound that was somewhere between fatigue and pressure. Mother often dwells on the past. She's never completely gotten over my father's death. She makes some people uncomfortable. Maggie remembered the discomfort she felt on and after in Morel's brief visit, still she shook her head. Your mother's welcome to visit me from time to time, Mrs. A.G. Thank you, but you will promise to tell me if, well, if you'd like her to stay away. You see, she often came here. Even when the place was deserted, I don't want her to get in your way. She doesn't know who you are. That is, obviously embarrassed, Joyce broke up. I mean, Mother doesn't understand that someone like you would be busy. Maggie remembered the lost eyes, the unhappy mouth. Pity stirred again. All right. She bothers me, I'll tell you. Relief from Joyce's face was quick and very plain. I appreciate it, Miss Fitzgerald. Maggie? Yes, well, as if... Only more uncertain of her ground, Joyce managed I understand that someone like you wouldn't want to have people dropping by and getting in the way. Maggie laughed, thinking how many times the phone called from California had interrupted in that month. I'm not a recluse, she told Joyce, though she was no longer completely sure. And I'm not really very temperamental. Some people even consider me normal. No, I didn't mean... I know you didn't. Come back when I'm done something with that floor, and we'll have some coffee. I'd like to, really. Oh, I'd... I nearly forgotten. She reached. I'm gonna 
reached into the big canvas bag on her shoulder and pulled out an old book. Mother said you wanted to see these, some pictures of the property? Yes, please, Maggie took the envelope. She hadn't thought Luino would remember to bother to put them together for her. I hope they might have give I hope they might give me some ideas. Mother said you could keep them as long as you liked. Joyce hesitated, fitting again with the strap of her bag. I have to get back. My youngest gets home from kindergarten at noon, and Stan sometimes comes home for lunch. I haven't done a thing to the house. I hope I see you sometime in town. I'm sure you will. Maggie took the envelope on her arm. Give my best to your mother. Maggie stared back. Started back into the house, but as she put her hand on the doorknob, she noticed Cliff crossing with Joyce. Curiosity had herself in to watch as Cliff took both the brunette's hands in his own. Though she couldn't hear the conversation of the den of murders, it was obvious that they knew each other well. There was a gentleness on Cliff's face Maggie hadn't seen before, and something she interpreted as concern. He bent down close, as if Joyce were speaking very softly, then touched her hair. The touch of a brother, Maggie wondered, or a lover. As far as she watched, Joyce shook her head a bit apparently fumbling with the door handle. Before she got into the car, Cliff leaned into the window. Leaned into the window for a moment. Were they arguing? Maggie wondered. Was the tension she sensed real or imaginary? Fascinated with the silent scene being laid out in her driveway, Maggie watched as Cliff withdrew from the window and Joyce backed out to backed out to drive away. Before she could retreat inside, Cliff turned and their gazes locked. There were a hundred feet separating them, and the air was full of the sounds of men and machines. The sun was strong enough to make her almost too warm in the sweatshirt, yet she felt one quick, unexpected chill race up her spine. Perhaps it was hostility, she felt. Maggie tried to tell herself it was hostility and not the first dangerous flutters of passion. There was a temptation to cross those hundred feet and test both of them. Even the thought of it stirred her blood. He didn't move. He didn't take his eyes from her. With fingers gone suddenly numb, Maggie twisted the handle and went inside. Two hours later, Matt. Two hours later, Maggie went out again. She'd never been one to retreat from a challenge, from her emotions, or from trouble. Cliff Delaney seemed connected with all three. While she scraped linoleum, Maggie had lectured herself on letting Cliff imitate her for no reason other than his being powerfully male and sexy. And different, she admitted. Different from most of the men she'd encountered in her profession. He didn't fawn far from it. He didn't pour on the charm. He wasn't impressed with his own physique. Looks or sophistication, it must have been that difference that had made her not quite certain how to handle him. A very direct, very frank business approach, she decided as she circled around the back of the house. Maggie paused to look at the bank front scene of her house. The vines, briars, and thick sumac were gone. Piles of rich tar topsoil was being spread over what had been a tangled jungle of neglect. The tree that had leaned toward the house was gone, stump and all. Two men, backs glistering with sweat, were setting stone in a low-spreading wall. Where the edge of the slope met the edge of the lawn, Cliff Delaney ran a tight ship, Maggie concluded, and made her way through the new dirt toward the side yard. Here, too, the worst had been cleared out. An enormous bearded man in a bib overall sat atop a big yellow backhoe as easily as another might sit in an armchair. As the push of a lever, the digger went down into the gully, bit into earth and rock and came up full. Maggie shaded her eyes and watched the procedure while the puppy circled her legs and snarled at everything in sight.
Each time the digger would open his skulls to drop his load, the dog would send up a ruckus of barks. Laughing, Maggie crouched down to scratch his ears and soothe him. Don't be a coward, killer. I won't let it get you. I wouldn't get any closer. Go step from behind her. She turned her head. Scooting against him. This is close enough. Disliking the disadvantage of looking up into the sun, Maggie stood. You seem to be making progress. We need to get the plants and, and the wall of this thing solid, he gestured to the gully. Before the rain hits, otherwise you'll have a real mess on your hands. I see. Because he wore their frustratingly tinted glasses again, she turned from him to watch the black hole. We certainly have a large staff. Close down the windows, buckets. Large enough. He told himself he'd imagined that powerful sexual pool hours before. Now feeling it again, he couldn't deny it. She wasn't what he wanted, yet he wanted her. She wasn't what he would have chosen, yet he was choosing. Yet he was choosing her. He could turn away logic until he learned what it was like to touch her. Maggie was very aware of how close they stood. The stirring she felt hours before began to build again, slowly, seductively, until she felt her whole body tense with it. She understood that you could want someone you didn't know, someone you passed on the street. It all had to do with chemistry, but her chemistry had never reacted this way before. She had a wild urge to turn into his arms, to demand or offer the fulfillment or whatever it was that shimmied between them. It was something that offered excitement and pleasure. She had only glimpses before. So did so she did turn, completely uncertain as to what she would do, would say. I don't think I like what's happening here. Cliff didn't pretend to misunderstand her, neither of their minds was on the pond on a mission. Do you have a choice? Maggie frowned, wishing she was more certain of her moves. He wasn't like the men she'd known before. Therefore, the standard rules do that. I think so. I moved here because it was where I wanted to live, where I wanted to work, but I also moved here because I wanted to be on my own. I intend to do all those things. Cliff studied her moments and gave the backhoe driver an absent wave as she shut off the machine to take his own work. I took this job because I wanted to work this land. I intend to do it. Though she didn't feel the slightest, lacy no tension, Magnet. Then we understand each other. As she started to turn away, Cliff put a hand on her shoulder. I think we both understand quite a bit. The muscles in her stomach tightened and loosened like nervous fists. With his fingers so light on the bulky sweatshirt, she couldn't help felt anything, but hundreds of pulses sprang to life in her body. The air seemed to grow closer, hotter, the sounds of men more distant. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. I don't know anything about you. Maggie managed to cut the tips of her hair finger. I can't say the same. Maggie's temper flare, though she knew when she would be baited. So you believe everything you read in the tabloids and glossies? She tossed her head to free her hair from his fingers. I'm surprised that a man who's obviously so successful and talented could be so ignorant. Cliff acknowledged that with a nod. I'm surprised a woman who's obviously so successful and talented could be so foolish. Foolish? What the hell is that supposed to mean? It seems foolish for me to encourage the press before every area of your life. She glanced your teeth, tried deep breathing. You know, I don't encourage the press to do anything. You don't discourage them, Cliff counted. Discouragement is encouragement, she tossed back. Putting her arms under her breast, as she'd done earlier, she stayed, stared out over the open yard. Why am I defending myself, mother? You don't know anything about it. I don't need you to know 
anything about it. Now you gave an interview about yourself and your husband weeks after his death. You heard her quick intake of breath, even as he cursed himself for saying something so personal and so uncalled for. Do you have any idea how the press hammered at me during those weeks? Her voice was low and strained, and she no longer looked at him. Do you know all the garbage they were printing? Her fingers tightened on her own arms. I chose a reporter I could trust, and I gave the most honest, most straightforward interview I could manage, knowing it was my only chance to keep things from sinking lower. That interview was for Jerry. It was the only thing I had left to give him. He wanted to prod, perhaps even to prick, but he hadn't wanted her. I'm sorry. He put his hand on her shoulder. Forget it. This time he took both of her shoulders, turning her firmly face. I don't forget blows belong the belt, especially when I'm the one doing the punching. She waited to speak until she was certain she had some control in. I've survived hits before. My advice to you is not criticize something you have no capacity for understanding. I apologize. He didn't release her shoulders when she tried to roll, but I'm not very good at following advice. Maggie became still again, somehow that it had gotten closer, so that now that her thighs brushed, the commotion of anger and desire was beginning to was becoming too strong to ignore. Then you and I don't have any more to say to each other. You're wrong. His voice was very quiet. <laughs> you haven't begun to say all there is to say. You work for me. I work for myself, Cliff corrected. She understood that kind of pride in my bit, but admiration wouldn't remove his hands from her shoulders. I'm paying you to do a job. You're paying my company. That's business. I'm going to be... It's going to be our only business. Wrong again, he murmured, but released her. Maggie opened her mouth. Throw something back at him, but the dog began to bark a quick, excited yelp. She decided turning her back on him to investigate her pet was a much grander insult than the verbal one she planned. Without a word, she began to make her way around the slope of the gully to the pile of earth and rock and debris the backhoe had dumped. All right, killer. The going was so uh, the going was so rough that she swore under her breath as she stumbled over stones. You'll never find anything worthwhile in that pile anyway. Ignoring her, the puppy continued to dig. His barking muffled as his nose went further in, his backside wriggling with either effort or delight in the new game. Cut it out! She bit to pull him out of the heap, ended up sitting down hard. Damn it, killer! Staying as she was, she grabbed the dog with one hand, dragging him back and unearthing a small avalanche of rock. Will you be careful? Cliff shouted from above her, knowing she'd been lucky not to have one of the rocks mouse off her shin. It's the stupid dog! Maggie shouted back as she lost grip on him again. God knows what he thinks is so fascinating about this mess. Nothing but dirt and rocks, she muttered, pushing the, the pile that had landed near her hip. Well, grab him and get back up here before you both hurt. Yeah, she muttered her. You're a big help. Disgusted, she started struggling up when her fingers slid into the worn, rounded rock. Her hand rested on hollow, she thought curiously. Their tension tore between the gully and the dog's unrenting barks. Maggie glanced down. Then she began to scream, loud and long enough to send the puppy racing for cover. Cliff's first stop as he raced down the slope. To her was the snakes. When he reached her, he dragged her up and into his arms in an instinctive move of protection. She stopped screaming. Though her breast was shallow, Maggie grabbed his shirt before he could carry her back and so Bones! She whispered close in her eyes. She dropped her head on his shoulder. Oh my god! Cliff looked down and saw what the machine the dog had unearthed. Mixed with rock and debris was a pile of what might have been mistaken for white sticks layered with dirt. 
but lying on the bones, inches from where Maggie had sat, was a human skull. End of chapter three.